morning, everybody. We find ourselves ready for Romans chapter 3. This morning we've been going through this, started it a couple of weeks ago. And so just a little review on what we're looking at. It's a, a letter to this church in Rome that's full of two very different kinds of people. You've got Gentiles and Jews, and they come from different backgrounds, and they don't really get along. And the writer, inspired by God, is trying to point them to the one thing they have in common, that is Christ, to bring them together. And so he's saying, to the Gentiles, you are God deniers. You deny that there, isn't, that there even is a God. You are worshipers of stuff. You just love stuff more than you love the guy that gives all the stuff. You are selfish and full of sexual immorality. And the Jews are going, yeah, get them. So he turns it to them and says, and you, Jews, are self-righteous and blind, and you love the law. You love the Bible. Congratulations. You love the Bible more than the God who gave it to you. And that makes you, and because you love the Bible more than the God who gave it to you, then you really love yourself because you love the Bible so much. And that makes you equally guilty before God. And so you're in the same spot before God. And that is in big trouble on Judgment Day. So it's been a lot of fun so far. We're trying to sort out, like, where do we fit in all this? Who are we and what is God saying to us? So chapter 3 starts with an objection that the writer believes the Jew probably has when he reads it. That's how chapter 3 starts. Because Paul is a Jew. What happens when you correct or rebuke or condemn a religious person who doesn't think they do anything wrong? What happens? Are you going to get an argument of any kind? You're going to get pushback. And so the pushback that he's addressing isn't from an actual person. Like you know, there's not someone actually saying, "Why well, strenuously object to what you just said. But he's supposing, he knows the argument's alive in their mind, and so he says, so what advantage is there to being a Jew, right? I know that's what you're thinking. What advantage is there to being a Jew? Much in every way. There's a lot. He actually goes into this in chapter 9 in much greater detail, but he touches it here, and he's like, you know, there is. Of all the people that God, if God's going to make his reach to the planet, guess who he reached to? He reached to you, and that's something. If anybody has a claim of the favor of God, it's, it's you. I mean, he gave you the law, the oracles of the law. He's going to reach the rest of the world through you. So you do have something. And if you would have actually done what he said, maybe this specialness or this insulation from God's wrath that you're claiming, maybe that would be in place. But look at your own history. Israel wasn't awesome at all. So, this is the next line. He says, your unfaithfulness will not nullify God's faithfulness. Now, that sounds good at face value, doesn't it? Like, okay, good. Okay, because that's who God is, and this is going to be good for us. So I'm unfaithful, but he's going to be still faithful. But what he means by that is, your unfaithfulness will not nullify God's faithfulness to himself. When God says he's faithful, he's faithful to himself. He's faithful to who he is. He's faithful to what he said. And what has God said? I will punish the unrighteous and I will reward the righteous. 
And that's who I am. So he says next, let God be true. Let God be faithful. Remember, he's talking to this this Jewish crowd. Let him be true. The same way he was true or faithful to David, and that's who he mentions next. He quotes Psalm 51 in Romans 3, and Psalm 51 is David's confession of the Bathsheba debacle. We've mentioned it a couple times so far. David is, and he's a hero of the faith, but God was faithful to him in this way. David confesses, I stole a girl, killed her husband, we had sex, there was a baby, and I went on as if nothing happened. And God took the life of the child. That's the example he uses of God's faithfulness because God is faithful to who first? To who? To himself. And he will do what he said that he will do and someone will pay. And in that scenario, who paid for the sin? The child. That's the picture of God's faithfulness that he wants them to see. Sobering, kind of heavy. I know we're not exactly taking off this morning. We're going to get there. It turns, it turns soon. So not exactly. So he goes on. Now here we're ready for where we jump in. Now we jump in at nine. So if God is faithful to himself and let God be true, what then, here's verse nine through 20, what then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. <clears throat> Who's he talking about? Everybody. That's who he's talking about here. This is the big summary. This is the goal. This is where he's been taking us all the way along. This idea that Every single one of us, no matter where you come from, we are all guilty before God. Jew, Gentile, Greek, Bluffton, whatever, all of this. Now, the language is hard. It's hard for us to own completely. Here's what I think is easy for us to own as far as our guilt before God. More like this. Like a, a disobedient child who tries hard but just keeps failing. Like that's graspable, isn't it? More than the language. The language here is harsh. It's heavy. It says, no one understands and no one seeks God because no one cares. God has said, you will love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And we instantly say, no, I won't. Why? Does anybody, can you say, I love the Lord with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength. And there's something in us that instantly says, I will not. No one seeks God. No one. 
all have turned. We all love stuff more than the giver of stuff. It's in us to worship something. It's in us to give ourselves over to something. And what do we easily give ourselves over to? Things. Because it's tangible and we can do it. And for a moment it feels good. But I promise you, you chase that long enough and you will find you pour yourself into stuff and it's just going to be empty. Like there's nothing to grab onto. Do you know that yet? Like I know that. But does it keep you from chasing the stuff? No. We're... And we're a mess. Together we have become worthless. This is the one of everything I read in that first paragraph that I had a hard time with. I understand unworthy. Everybody in here would say unworthy. You worthy or unworthy? Yeah, unworthy. Are you worthless? That hurts. That's what he just said. It's easy to read when you read it fast. I just called you worthless. And no one left. Yet. (laughs) I didn't. It did. Our throats are like open graves. It means we don't speak life. Do you speak to build up or do you speak to tear down? What comes out of you most of the time? Here it says it's, it's like death. It's like tearing down, not building up. Venom curses bitterness. Feet swift, feet swift to shed blood. Not this. Here's what's easy. Oh, I shouldn't go there, but oh, but I did go there, and I shouldn't have gone there, but I'm sorry, I'll come back. That, that's the kind of disobedience where you're like, yeah, that's me. This says, no, you ran there because you wanted to, and you stayed there longer than you, you didn't know how bad it was going to be when you got there, and you would have never came if you did, but you still went. And you wanted to. Like, you wanted to run over there. My son broke my chainsaw. And we were both excited to use it. And he didn't mean to. We were working late. It was in the woods. He came to find me, which I love. It endears my heart to that boy. I was in the woods working. And he came to find me, which I just love. He's like, need help? I'm like, yeah, I need my saw. The new one? Because the old one was broke. And we had purchased it together. It didn't even have fuel in it yet. And we were so excited. And I say we. I was equally excited to hear it go. So I'm going to go get it and get the fuel. (laughs) So, and it is so sharp. It was so sharp. When you laid it in, it actually pulled it. You could just feel it in your hands. It just rips. Who loves that? Okay. That is who I am. (laughs) I love that. He knew better than I did what needed cut in the woods. It was a trail. So I said, you go to where you know you need to go next, and I will be behind you. This is actually hard for me a little bit. 
So I saw him up there, it was dark, and he was standing in the trail. And I got off, I had a tractor, and I got off, and I came up to him, and he was crying. I instantly thought he'd been hurt. And he said, I broke your handle. We didn't have 10 cuts yet, not 10 cuts. He was, he was sobbing because he knew I loved it. And he loved it. And he set it too close to the thing. He drove over it and broke it. And it shot. I mean, he really broke it. That's not us. I broke it. I'm sorry. Here's us, according to this. I wanted to break it. And I liked it. And if you give me a chance, I'll break it again. Way different, I think. Hard to... Now, here's what's hard about it, I think. We think we're better than that. And here's why. You do see some good. Like, we just got done with like three chapters of hard stuff. We just keep telling us how bad we are. And you do see good. Do you see good in other people? Like, you do see some. And so it's hard to reconcile. Like, some of what you see coming out of people, it doesn't necessarily matter. That's what I think. I think I see some stuff coming out of people, maybe even me sometimes, that doesn't match this. I saw in a video this week, I mean, this is, this is one example, but this, when I watched the video, I, I knew, like, it's this kind of stuff that, that underscores the, the belief that, you know what, we're pretty good. We're not perfect. I mean, we make some mistakes, but we're pretty good. It's, it was from America's Got Talent. I mean, that show is trying to tell you we are awesome. In case you didn't know. America's got talent. And when I watched it, I'm like, and there is something about it. So I just want, I want, to wa- want you to watch the video and, and then see what it kicks up in you. Because it kicked up some things in me. This is uh, Grace Vanderwall. She's 12, super cute, tons of talent. And just see what it produces in your heart when you watch it. Hi, young lady. What is your name? Grace. Grace, you're a beautiful young lady, you know that? Thank you. <laughs> How old are you? Uh, 12. Are you excited to be here? It's crazy. <laughs> what are you going to sing? I'm singing an original. Really? Yes. It's about me. <laughs> and are the people at school behind you supporting you? Most of my friends don't really know I sing. So they don't know you're here? No. You believe that you can win? Well, I mean, miracles can happen, so possibly. (laughs) Stage is yours. Good luck. Thank you. 
They gave her the golden buzzer straight into the, the deal. People cried like, we're pretty good, aren't we? Like, what did you, like that comes out of people. And this is what I saw as I watched it. Sort of an innocence, a little, some purity, like an untaintedness. I mean, she was like, she didn't really kind of even know. And like, there was still, like, still kind of pure and Talent, like giftedness, off the charts talent, like crazy. And but here's one of my favorite parts about that: it was the people in the crowd. Like, did you see how they? I'm going to say, it, like, they loved her. Like, they their heart was for her. They just they accepted her. They were kind. They were in awe, and they just it was all like, hey, there's some bad people in the world, but we're decent. We're pretty good. Here's, what the, here's how that still misses. Here's what the word would say. That you will see it in people, but when you see something good, it is because God was good first, and we are made in the image of a God who was all of that before. There's going to be there's going to be a tinge of you that's like him in you, and you'll see it. It, it will come out in a glimpse. God... They, they said, you are a walking miracle. That's what they told her. You're a walking miracle. And you know what? God agrees. You are fearfully and wonderfully made Grace Vanderwall or whoever. You can put your name in there if you want to. Because you were made in my image. We're, we're imaged off of a God who is everything good already. And he made us. And so like people create. Why? Because God is first creator. I mean, we're in his image and we're going to create. Here's the crazy thing about it. Whatever is in him, here was the idea. He creates you in his image and then we reflect that image out into the world all the time. And we do it perfectly. When it's good and it comes out, it's supposed to bring good attention back to him. The crazy part about it is the minute someone is creative, where does all the applause and the praise go? Does any of it go from God who underwrote it? It all goes to, it, it just misses its mark. You can be kind. You can be caring. You can be loving. God said I was those things first. I am love. You have a sense of justice. A right and a wrong. It's in you. You know. And you, there's this thing to, you do want to move towards that and love that kind of thing. Because God is just. And those things are there, but no one, no one reflects it perfectly. That was the idea. Create you in my image. You reflect that out into the world. Everything and everyone knows that all the credit goes back to him. No one reflects it perfectly except one, and that was Christ. In every single situation, 
Christ reflected perfectly who God the Father was every time, all the time. All of us, we do not. We, we rob him of what he intended in the beginning. And so, even on something like that that appears good, our slight, our offense is against him. And here's a key to understanding the weight of your sin. Take the focus off what you do, because it never seems bad to us, and put your focus on the one who is offended. That will help you see the gravity of it. Not what you do. Who did you do it against? And I just said, our offense is against him. Example, if you storm this platform and you try to punch me, not much is going to happen. You might get a little Rex Kwando coming back at you. But, but, but other than that, but if you storm this platform and the president is up here and you try to punch him, you will die. What's the sin? What's the offense? Punching someone. What's the penalty? Death. Does that seem a little steep to anyone? Like, I should have punched my brother all the time. I'm still here. Like, does trying to punch someone, does dying for trying to punch someone seem a little steep? What makes it steep? The who. Bump that up infinitely higher than the president. And who have we offended? We have robbed an infinitely good God, and that makes our sin infinitely heavy. John Piper is famously quoted by reciting what sin is. He's famously quoted by a lot of stuff, really, but this is one of the things he said. Sin is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, and the person of God not loved. That's sin. Who is it all about? Who is every ounce of everything about? It's all about him. And we turn it all, any goodness he gave us, we turn it all on ourselves. And our offense is against him. And that makes our sin infinitely heavy. So we are worse than we ever thought we were. And that's what he wants us to see. We're worse. We are worse than you ever thought you believed. I put a, a, a line underneath that. You can fill this in, but I, I want us to become comfortable with identi ident identifying ourselves in this way. I mean, we are not for God. 
we are for ourselves. And if we are not for him, then we are against him. You can't be neutrally on the side. Well, I haven't made up my mind yet. If you are not for him, you are against him. So I want us to own enemy. I mean, he's just said that we are his enemy. Now, do you know enemies? Do you have any? Someone has wronged you. Someone who has, they continue to wrong, like work against you. Or they've hurt someone you've loved. They've hurt your kid or they work against your kid or whatever the case. Do you have an enemy? I know people in here who have been wronged. I mean, there, was, there has been loss of life over the careless act of another. And it puts this person in this camp of, of enemy. Like they just, you hate them. Do you have enemies? Who comes to your mind? Like you just can't stand them. What do you want them to get? <laughs> You're good at that part, aren't you? I am. Okay, that is us. So what does he give us? The natural response, hey, let's give, them, let's give them what they got coming. Is that what we get from him? And Paul has brought us to this point in the letter to tell us before God, no. And I love the way he's done it. He's actually brought us as low as we can get. You are worse than you could possibly believe about yourself to show us that God is better than you can ever possibly imagine. Ready? Finally, we made it. Here's God's response to all that. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Can I just stop right there? Just break it down. There is a way to be right with God without doing stuff. And it was his idea. To who? Enemies. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. He chooses not to crush us. He instead crushes his son. God's justice, his righteousness demands that the enemy and his issues and his sin and his transgressions must be punished because God is faithful to himself. We've already covered that. He will... The unjust will be punished, but there's a way. If someone, if someone can be assigned that guilt and that person punished, then it satisfies. That's propitiation. A propitiatory act is an act that satisfies God's wrath. It can satisfy. It can go in its stead. And so God has decided to be true to his justice, but also to love his enemy. God has decided to be true to himself, which he cannot violate, but also 
to be to love his enemy and what he did is he entered his son into the into the equation god made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become right a son for an enemy that's his response do you know in any way the heart that you have for a child? Do you know what that exists between you and a child? The depth of that, the, when someone would harm your child, it actually raises up something in you you didn't even know was there. It actually kind of scares you. It is fierce. That is a word I would use to describe that. It, it, is, it can be fierce if something happens on this. And we've already covered, do you have a clear picture of someone who has wronged you or doesn't care for you and has turned against you or has worked against you? Would you ever, ever, ever trade this for that? Would you ever do away with this to benefit to the, would you ever harm this for the benefit of that in any way? Would you ever do that? And God did because he is better than we can possibly imagine. For God so loved his enemy. I'll just read the famous one. What a privilege. For God so loved his enemies that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? But in order that the world might be saved through him. Why does he want us back? I have no idea. That's on him. It's part of who he is. We said, going through Romans, you're going to get to rethink who God is and replace it. And somehow, some way, he wants you back, even if it costs him his son. That's who he is. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. We talked about it. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, though. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness. Man, don't let that judgment be you today. Light has come into the world, the giving of a son for an enemy, because God is just that good. Do you know you can trust him? Do you know you can trust an invisible God? Because any God who would give his son for you can be trusted. I don't care what your issues are with God and why you're not going to do this or that. You can trust him always and forever, even when it hurts, even when he corrects you, even when he's taking you through something, you can trust him because he was willing to give his son for you and you were an enemy at the time. You cared not for him. You couldn't have cared less for him. You were all about yourself, all the goodness that he ever gave you that, that was in you based upon the image of him that is in you. You just turned back on yourself because we love ourselves. We break the first commandment over and over and over and over again. You shall have no other gods before me. Yes, I will. It will be me. Me. I'm at the center of everything. You are not. And he said, oh, here's my son. I want you back. That is incredible. And that means you can trust him. If I loved, if I gave my son for you, you could trust me. You could trust this, that I was for you. You can trust that he's for you in the giving of the son. So, this is what happened. This is what 
Romans says happened at the cross. It says that we were justified. The death of Christ was a justifying death. Here's a good way that I have heard it explained. Justified is just as if I'd not. Somehow through the death of Christ, it becomes for us just as if I'd not sinned ever. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Because he became just as if he'd done everything that we had done. He became just, he was numbered with the transgressors. Here's what you have to, it wasn't just this sacrifice and God threw it out there. Like he actually became something. He became, he represented us. He became numbered with the transgressors. God separated himself from him. Remember that moment on the cross where he's like, why have you forsaken me? God turned his back on his own son because at that moment he became us. He became sin. He became sin. And God hated him. But it was propitiatory. It was satisfying. The wages of sin is death. And Christ willingly put his life out there and that blood satisfied it. Making us just as if we'd not. And your mind won't get around it all day because we are so defined by what we do. And part of, part of it's my fault, because I just read you three weeks of all the stuff you've done wrong. So I'm sorry for that part. Okay. But now you got to switch it. Because in one, a new era, of, a new era, like, a, like the history of salvation changed. The law and the prophets and all that stuff was a shadow of what was to come, and now the history changed, and now it's it's done. It can be finished once and for all. And it was all, it was all worked out in the sun. It's, it's the best news. Just as if I... Now, did you deserve it? It was that, justify, that justification was by grace. Not because you earned it. Grace. The undeserved favor of God making it a gift. Here's maybe, maybe the finest line of Scripture that we'll read today. And maybe the finest line in all of Scripture... We are justified by his grace as a gift. God's response to the unrighteous rebel, he will justify you by grace as a gift. What do you do with a gift? What do you do with a gift? (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) You take it. All this is ours by faith, it says. Verse 26, everything that went down on the cross was to show at this moment that God was at the same time just and a justifier of the one who didn't deserve it. The cross is this perfect combination of the justice of God. At the cross, you can see God hates sin. He is just and it will be punished, but at the same time, he's a justifier of the undeserved. He's a lover of his enemy. And he gets to be all those things all at the same time. All of that is ours by faith. Now, I'm not going to break down faith because I think it breaks. It honestly is right there for you. Here's the deal. If you truly get and you can hear it today, you are worse than you will ever believe about yourself before God. If you don't believe you are, then there's something wrong. You're missing something. You're missing the holiness of God or the unrighteousness of yourself. And that blindness exists. But if you can see that you are worse than you could ever 
want to believe about yourself, but at the same time, in the giving of the Son, the way it's been told to you today, that God is better than you could ever possibly imagine, when those two come together, it's easy. Why would you not? Faith is just, you grab it. You just say yes to it. So if you're hearing it today and you know your work, you know it, and you see how good he is and you've never done it before, you just say yes, please. In the quietness of your own heart, wherever you are, just say yes, please. Some of you won't be able to hear it. And that's the way it is. Some of you can hear it today. Maybe for the first time you're like, I'm worse. Yes, please. Just say yes, please. Faith, trust. Now, Romans doesn't end in chapter 3. It just keeps going. And we're going to talk about what does it look like to live out faith. But it all begins with that. Never, ever, ever graduate from the gospel. Always bring yourself back to, I'm worse than I could ever want to believe about myself. And God was better than I can possibly imagine. Yes, please. And if you're saying yes, please every day, I mean, it'll actually sanctify you. We'll get into that later. But that is actually the same thing that will grow you up. The same thing that got you started is the same thing that'll grow you up. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And you just never leave it. Never, don't never walk off and like, now I, now I know the deep things. Never, never, never leave that. Change your life. Gift. So, if you can hear it, say Yes. Can you ever be right by what you do based upon the revelation of Scripture? Can you ever be right? The only way you can be right is a righteousness that comes from heaven has been made manifest to the unrighteous, available to those who would have faith, trust, believe in Jesus. That is God's response. So, here's how it ends. So, where is our boasting? We don't have any. <laughs> There's no room to boast. Like, well, I did this and I did this and my grandpa was this and so scoot over. There's none because we're all in the same. This is 27 through 30. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God a God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, the Gentiles also. Since God is one, he will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith because we're all on equal ground before God. We all need the same thing. That makes us one. Unity. So do you see how he's worked to reconcile the difference in Rome? It's hard to come through that and still hold on to some scrap of who you are, you know, some scrap of your own goodness, and you're going to hold, nope, he's knocked us all down, and he's built us all up with the very same thing, and that is Christ. And so, bringing the church together, one would suppose. Now, I don't know in Rome, if they stopped and they put down the letter and like, we should take communion. But that's what we're going to do. Because <laughs> I, think, I think it summarizes, I think it summarizes what, what we've just gone through. It, there's not a better picture, so we, communion's laid out for us here, this meal that Jesus told us to take. 
for those who have faith. It's not a better picture of what God has provided for us in Christ. There's bread in the cup, and we just read what they were. The bread represents his body. This is my body broken for you. God attached your mess to it, and I actually became your sin, and it was broken for you. The punishment that brought you peace was upon me. Do this in remembrance of me. Then the cup, the cup, my blood poured out was propitiatory. Let's just say it together. No, don't listen. Satisfying. An, an act that satisfies the wrath of God. The wages of sin is death, and I willingly and by the will of God lay my life out there for you, an enemy, to satisfy. And so it is finished. God is satisfied. Do this in remembrance of me. And you take it. And the, and the whole thing's good for faith. It's good for faith. It's good, it's good to come in here after a week. I don't know what your week was like. It's good to come in here and go, Yep, this is where all come, this is this is where I got to get back to, and this is where I got to leave from out of here. Now it is a meal for those who had faith, for those who have faith. So you can't come and claim that when you take it, you're claiming faith. So if you haven't yet, and what's the verdict that that has come into the world? Light has come into the world, but some people still love darkness. And I get that. Some of you still love darkness in here. And I, there's, no, there's no condemnation. I don't judge you for it. I love darkness for a long, 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 long time. And sometimes light hurts at first. You're like, I don't want that. So just get used to it. I mean, just think about it. Reconsider it. But if you're not someone who's had faith, then don't. You, you, you should watch, though. I say this about every time. Because you're going to see people, <clears throat> and you're going to like, Seriously, they're going. They are. Do you know why? Are they claiming anything when they come to this table? What are they claiming? I got nothing. He's got everything. I need it. The only thing they're claiming is they need it. If you know you need it, come. Say yes. I mean, one of the ways to say yes is to come. Not, not that something here is going to magically save you, like bread, juice, yes. It's a transaction. It's trust. It's belief. You come to this place, you're like, I'm worse. He's better. I need what he has. He did it. I need it. I'm in. And so if, if that's you, take it. If it's not, don't. But watch. It's good for you. It's like the gospel in action. It's good for you. It's actually good for your faith to watch it. There are some who don't like the grip and rip. You know who you are. So we have different kinds of body up here for you. So relax. Like some people just like, ooh, okay. And don't take it in an unworthy manner. There was nothing about the sending of the sun that was light or easy. You know, it's called a free gift to us, but it cost God everything. So do not trample lightly. Don't just rush over it. This is massively huge to the God who sent his son. Don't flippantly take it. Don't take it in an unworthy manner. So when you have, when you have properly thanked him, when you have properly 
sorted it out with him, when you've properly been repentant of all the garbage that's been going on in your life when you came in here, then, then come and take and remember. Because it was never about you anyway. It was never about all the good stuff you were doing. And it's not going to be about that when you leave. It's about the one thing. That's what I love about this meal. It puts the focus on one thing, and that is Christ and him crucified. Amen. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for Romans. I'm thankful for the condemnation. I'm I'm thankful for the cut, but I'm also thankful for the remedy. And I pray that by your spirit, you bring about faith in this room today and, and obedience. We're actually being obedient. We're walking in obedience to what you said. Do this in remembrance of we. So we remember the one thing, the main thing, the best thing, the only thing, and that is the son killed for us. Thank you for that. And in his name, We say thanks and amen. And everybody said?